You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. As we get ready to dive into this passage, I've had a number of stories that have kind of been swimming around in my, in my head about, okay, so how do I introduce this and what's this really about? And this is one of those passages that we can sometimes come to in God's Word that don't necessarily feel particularly relevant, especially for how this passage is about to start. But just to reset things a little bit, if you weren't with us last week, we looked at Jesus performing all these miracles and healing all these people. It's a long day. The day comes to an end. And um, and I'm actually giving you the week prior to last week, actually. But he feeds the thousands, over 5,000 men, women, and children. And then he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee while he goes up on the mountain to pray. And if you'll remember back to last week, he um, actually comes out on the water in the middle of, really almost after the night is over, when the disciples are in this windstorm and they're just getting nowhere. And Peter steps out of the boat and walks on water. I mean, it's an amazing story. And then Jesus lands, and they land, you know, at the, at the shore. They begin healing people. And we see this tremendous example of all these people choosing to trust in Jesus. The disciples, Peter, for the first time, they begin to understand he really is who he says he is, that he's the Son of God. And now we're going to see a contrast to that. And now we're going to see the religious leaders, in particular, of all people, not understand and recognize who Jesus is and what he's all about. And there's so much that we're going to be able to learn from this this exchange here, and it's profoundly relevant for you and me. Um, Some of you who I've been talking to know that uh, this last week I took most of the week off in order to begin working on my fence because my neighbor and I share a fence that basically is at the end of its life, and it's been falling over for years, and we've been repairing sections for years, and we finally looked at each other and said, we just, we've got to replace this. And it's it's a big fence. There's a lot of work to be done. And I naively thought, well, we'll get this done in, you know, a couple days. And no, it's going to be several more days and probably two or three more weekends at least to get this thing across the finish line. But one of the interesting things about this project was looking at these four-by-four fence posts, and, the, and they look just fine. And then you actually go over to them, and you push on them, and they fall over because the core is rotted. The outside looks good, but the core, not so much. And that's actually what Jesus is going to speak to here and confront with the religious leaders. On the outside, they look really good. They're religious. They seemingly are in right relationship with God, but they're not, because there is a problem with the core. And so now, as we dive into this passage, I I want you to watch for how Jesus speaks to them and then what he illustrates at the end of the passage, because we're going to come back and talk about how that applies for you and me. So here we go. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. That's right out of Exodus 20 in the Old Testament. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say 
that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And now Jesus is reaching back to Isaiah 29, which they would have known what this meant. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said this? Or when they heard this, rather, he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. And now here comes my life verse. Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these are what defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So there's a whole lot swimming around in this passage that we need to do business with. So first it says some Pharisees and teachers of law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. This means they're coming from headquarters. And this is not the first time they've come out to see what's going on and to confront and criticize Jesus. This happened earlier in Matthew. This is actually the second time that they're coming to confront him. The first time was when they accused him of doing what he was doing in the power of Satan in Matthew 12. And now they're coming once again to confront him because they don't like what they've been hearing and they really don't like what they've been seeing. And what's referred to here is the tradition of the elders. And it's important to understand the context for this as well. This is referring to the oral law. Not the written law of God's word, but the oral law. Because it was believed that when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, he passed along an oral tradition of what it meant, gave further definition of, of how to honor the Ten Commandments and to live in right relationship with God. Well, this was orally passed from generation to generation to generation, and it was elevated to a place of the same authority as the word of, of God. And the disciples are being accused of not washing their hands before they eat. And again, a little context for this that will hopefully make this passage more clear. Hand sanitation, sanitation in general, actually was a high value in the first century. You washed your hand, you washed your feet. It was an agrarian society. You often came in from that dirty, or the mode of transportation primarily was walking. Your feet would get dirty. So that was actually a wise and necessary thing, was to wash your hands, wash your feet, whatever. But there's more than hand sanitation lurking in this. There was this reality of spiritual purity as well. Priests, by way of example, were told that they needed to wash before they entered into the presence of God in the temple, representing the people to God. And so it was understood and it was teaching this reality that God is holy, He is distinct, he is set apart from us, but he's also set apart for a special relationship with us as well. 
meaning that God's very different than us. And so some of these purity things were meant to remind people of this spiritual reality, that you just don't walk into the presence of God however you want, whenever you want, and disregard His holiness. And so what the Pharisees had done in this oral tradition is they had taken that idea of, well, the priests need to wash themselves before they enter God's presence, so the people should be doing that too. And so they were demanding that people wash their hands, not just for hand sanitation, but ceremonially as a way of, of, of purifying themselves. And they had elevated, to, elevated it to a place that it was never intended to be. And so this is some of the ways that it began to play out. Jesus classically doesn't answer their question. He turns the question back on to them. And again, this is going back to Exodus 20, where the fourth commandment is to honor your father and mother. But the Pharisees, because of where they had elevated this oral tradition, were actually using that as a loophole to get out of caring for their parents. A great example of this positively is Laura and Kevin. They are choosing to relocate themselves in order to care for their aging mother-in-law who needs their help. The Pharisees, in this example, so to speak, would have been looking for a way around that. And that's exactly what they were doing. If elderly parents needed financial help, they would say, oh, well, that money's devoted to God, so sorry, Mom and Dad, you're on your own on this one. Gave all my money to God, therefore you can't have it. And they were actually using the oral tradition as a loophole to get out of obeying the written word of God. And Jesus, he calls them on it. And my friends, this is not a page out of the book of how to win friends and influence people, right? He gives it to them straight, and he calls them hypocrites. Now, notice here how countercultural this is even to our own culture now. We live in a culture that has elevated this idea of tolerance with however you define it as one of the highest values of our culture. Jesus never trades tolerance for the truth, and neither should we. We should always speak the truth in love, as Ephesians 4.15 guides us in that. And this may not seem very loving, but you have to remember, this is not the first run-in Jesus has had with these guys. He's been very patient with them and very deliberate with them. But he is confronting them on their hypocrisy and their, their sin. And, and he lets them have it, and he rightfully should. And this quote out of Isaiah 29, 13, they would have known exactly what this meant. They knew who this was written to, who it was written for, and what it meant. This section of Isaiah, if you were to jump back and read it, and I would encourage you to do so, whenever the Old Testament gets pulled into the New, you should go back and look at that. This is a message of judgment on the entire nation, and Jesus is now leveraging this to rightfully judge their hypocrisy and their brokenness. And it's reasonable for us to step back and ask ourselves, how did it get to this place? No one knew the Word of God and the promises of God better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They knew the Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah as anxiously as anyone was. And yet, they're the ones who ultimately lead the charge to kill Jesus. If anyone should have recognized Jesus, it was them and they don't. 
And it's so easy to look at these kinds of exchanges where Jesus is rightfully taking them to task and speaking the truth to them and to think, what a bunch of cheese logs. How in the world are they missing this? How in the world can they be so blind and so arrogant? And yet we have to remember that the oral tradition actually started with good motives. By way of example, what does it mean to honor your father and mother as a kid? How about as an adult kid? What does that look like? And so, in part, the oral tradition was, was um, developed through the centuries for a number of reasons. Here's just a handful that, that jumped out at me. It was to define even more clearly what is sin, what is selfishness and brokenness, so that we can recognize it and stay away from it. How can we more carefully and deliberately obey God? God made it really clear he wanted his people to live very distinctly different from the pagan nations around them, so this was part of that too. It originally started with good motives and good intentions, but over time, the rules and the rituals and the regulations became more important than relationship, and traditions became more important than people, and being self-righteous became more important than living righteously in right relationship with God and other people. Could that ever happen to us? Absolutely it can. Can we elevate traditions or ways of doing things over what the Word of God actually says in church, in church community and church life? Oh, yeah. It's something we constantly have to be careful about. I have a pastor friend who, when he first started at his church and his role at that church, one of the things he chose to do was he chose to take the podium where the preacher preached from and he moved it and decided to preach from here that morning. Twenty years later, he had people who would not talk to him because he moved the podium. Seriously. And we can look at that and say, well, pfft, yeah, obviously that's elevating tradition over wisdom, let alone the Word of God. I mean, really, we're going to die for that? But we have to be real careful because we can die for traditions, we can die for comfort, we can die for our way of doing things when it does not have equal authority or significance that the Word of God does. So one of the first things that jumps out to us, one of the first realities is we have to remember the Word of God is our final authority. Now notice this doesn't say our only authority because God has rightfully put other authorities in your life and mine. Government is an authority, and isn't that interesting how that has been approached here this last year and a half? We have civil and civic authorities. We have relational authorities. We have bosses and supervisors. We have parents, kids, and all the parents are saying, amen, preach it. We have elders in our church here. We submit to their authority. I submit to their authority, and I'm, I'm one of them. But the point is, we have in our culture more than ever so many voices speaking into your life and mine telling me what I should do, how I should do it, when I should do it, and so many of those voices are not from the Word of God. 
And therefore, we have to come back to the Word of God and filter and grid our lives through the Word of God. We have to be in the Word of God. So are you? I mean, to your credit, you're here, you're, you're worshiping and participating online. But if this is the only input from the Word of God that you get on a weekly basis, my friends, that's, it's not enough. I mean, to your credit, you're taking this in, but, but do, you, do you know the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Do you memorize the Word of God? Do you interact with the Word of God? Is the Word of God part of your daily rhythm as you think about how you're living your life, the decisions you make, the choices you have to make? Jesus models this for us. He's constantly going to the Word of God, quoting the Word of God, referring to the Word of God, living out the Word of God, and the same is true for you and me. Because the Word of God reveals a problem that we have, and it's actually not about dirty hands. It's about dirty hearts. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, and that's where Jesus is going. All of us are dirty and unclean in our heart of hearts. We live in a world that loves to create divisions and loves to polarize and likes to divide the world in between us and them constantly. It's us and them politically, socially, culturally, you know, on and on and on. But when it comes to this reality, there is no us and them. There's just us. All of us, apart from right relationship with God through knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have dirty hearts. But we don't buy into that at times. We don't remember that reality, and we judge and condemn people accordingly. There's a reason in Romans chapter 12 it says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, because we have a tendency to do just that. Something that helps keep me grounded that I've recently incorporated into my own rhythm of life is Luke chapter 18, verse 12. It's a prayer, and it's commonly referred to as the Jesus prayer, and this is it. You can probably memorize this by the end of our time this morning. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because when I find myself going down the path of condemning someone, this is what brings me back to reality. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by the way, let's just take for a test drive this list that we saw. So could this be me? Could this be you? Well, I haven't murdered anybody, but I've thought about it. Every day I drive. No, just kidding. Not quite that bad. But you've been there. You are there. Because in Matthew chapter 5, earlier in this amazing gospel, Jesus said, you know, it's not about actually physically taking someone's life. It's when you take someone's life in your mind, you're a murderer. Because he's amplifying and helping people understand what the law, what right relationship with God and others was always intended to look like and be. I've never killed anybody. Yeah, but you did yesterday on I-84 a couple times, if we're keeping track. So, yep. I'm in this list, so are you. Adultery? Oh, no, I'm, I'm faithful to my spouse, or I'm not married and I'm not out committing adultery. Okay. 
But who are you with and what are you doing with them in your mind? Remember back once again to Matthew chapter 5? Sexual immorality, which is the word in the original language, porneia, which is what we get our word pornography from. So what are you looking at? And again, before we dismiss that, what, what's going on in your mind? What are you reaching back for and pulling in that you saw years ago, but now is playing in your mind? And by the way, this word is kind of the junk drawer for sexual sin. This, this is more than just adultery. Because what we're here for at Grace is what God is for at Grace when it comes to our sexuality and sexual expression. And that is a God-created, incredibly wonderful thing between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for life. But anything else that falls outside of that is pornea. And it doesn't take us long to think about that to realize how much falls outside of what God wants with that. Theft. Anybody done their taxes yet? Enough said. False testimony. Oh boy, here we go. Let's just roll these together. False testimony and slander. What have you posted on social media recently? What have you responded to? What have you liked? Oh boy. Okay. I'm in this list, and so are you. So what do we do about it? Well, again, we have to do business with the reality that you cannot cleanse yourself. But we don't buy that, even when we say that we, we do. And, and this is a message, really, that no one wants to hear. I mean, for the religious people, they certainly didn't want to hear this. Because they were under the understanding, they had bought into the idea that rules and rituals, you know, like hand-washing, this, this would make you clean, this would make you okay. And Jesus says, no, this isn't about dirty hands, it's about a, a dirty heart. That's not a deep enough change. Okay, well, let's go with our relativistic culture that says, you know what, there really is no right and wrong, and that's what makes me okay, because I define what's right and wrong for me. I'm just going to kind of get around the whole issue. Sin, what's that? Really? You still believe in that? That's, that's, that's lame. I mean, come on. I'm basically a good person. Wash the hands, wash the hands. Okay, not a deep enough change. Well, at least I'm doing better than, you know, Jay. We compare ourselves to others. Not only am I a good person, but I'm doing better than they are. And you know, God grades on a curve. And I'm setting the curve, baby. That's, that's where I'm at. But then we begin to think, okay, so if I don't buy into sin, and if, if right and wrong is just relative, then how come I feel so inadequate? Where does that sense come from that, that I'm not quite good enough? Because if I thought I was good enough, how come I compare myself to others? How come I find myself in the place of with what I post on social media or even what I think in my heart? Well, I'm, I'm doing better once again than they are. I mean, intuitively, we know that something is wrong. We're just not quite sure what to do about it, and we try to deal with it in a whole host of ways. And, and in a real sense, you know, we're, we're trying to cleanse ourselves, but it's just not deep enough. You see, the issue isn't 
dirty hands, it's a, it's a dirty heart. And the reality that Jesus is pointing the Pharisees to and that he points us to in this very passage is he's the one who needs to cleanse us. Doing good is not good enough. It doesn't go deep enough. I mean, yes, we can change our behavior, but it doesn't eliminate our need for a Savior. Because you see, lurking in this parable that Peter was asking for clarification about, that he was seeking to understand, was was this, that the only way to a clean heart, to a pure heart, is through a new heart. It's through an inside-out change. And this is where Christianity departs from empty religion. Empty religion attempts to change us from the outside in. Do this, don't do that, and that's going to make things okay. No, no, you need a new heart, and therefore you need a new identity. And that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. I love, this is one of my most favorite verses out of the book of Titus. We read this before we started our service here this morning as the team gathered together to pray. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, dirty hearts. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Man, does that ever sound like our culture today? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, and we're talking about Jesus now, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, take a hike, empty religion, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's the washing of the clean new heart, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, declared not guilty, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Is that your story? Is that you? Because there are too many of you who do know Jesus, who love Jesus, who have experienced the cleansing that only comes through knowing Him, who are still living in your past or even your present. You're letting your past or your present brokenness define who you are. And the incredible thing about this amazing God and this grace that He lavishes upon us is that is the escape from sin and from selfishness and from that broken identity that we so easily gravitate back to. So once again, it begs the question of you and me, what is your identity? Who are you? Because how you're living and how I'm living really reveals who we think we really are. My friends, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ into our lives as our Lord and Savior, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop letting your past or present brokenness define who you are. You do not have to live like that. You have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to give you the Spirit-infused ability to say yes to to right relationship with God and right relationship with other people and no to selfishness and brokenness because you've been changed from the inside out. Working on this fence has been an opportunity to get to know my neighbors much better. We're spending a lot of time together, eating meals together, working out in the rain all day together, those kind of things. 
And in talking with the wife of my, my neighbor, we'll call her Kelly, Kelly was just starting to share about her life, and they have a, a, a little boy. And she was talking about being pregnant with him and then delivering him. And she said, you know, I never really quite recovered from childbirth. And she said, you know, I thought that this is what having a new baby was like. I mean, you're exhausted all the time. You don't feel good. You can't sleep at night. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that all sounds pretty normal from the three kids we had. But then she began to talk about, but I just, I physically didn't feel right. And I and I'm a pretty healthy person, and I'm the kind of person who never goes into the doctor. And so she put off going to the doctor for months, but still was just in this place where she just hadn't ever recovered from the birth of her child. Well, she went into the doctor. They were extremely alarmed, began to run a number of tests, and it turns out she had stage 2 breast cancer that up to that point had gone untreated. And here she was doing all these things, taking vitamins and trying to exercise and trying to get sleep and trying to, trying to do these things that she thought would address her problem, but she had a deeper problem. In the core of her was growing this cancer. And I'm happy to tell you that the treatments for her worked, many, many months of treatments. And I don't know if she's a Jesus follower or not, but after she shared this with me, I just couldn't help myself. And I said, Kelly, God has given you a second chance at life. Well, what are you going to do with it? And my friends, because we all start out in the same place with dirty hearts, with unclean hearts, there is a spiritual cancer that is eating away at you. An empty religion and trying harder and doing good and just trying to be a better person or ignoring the reality of sin is not going to treat it. You need a new heart. You need to be cleansed from the inside out. So as our worship team comes and as we begin to sing this next song together that talks about, God, give us clean hands. What we're really crying for is, God, give us clean hearts. And I know that there are some of you who are watching who... If you're honest in your heart of hearts, your, your heart is still dirty. You haven't been washed by the Holy Spirit of God coming into you, God himself coming into you and cleansing you. Make that choice. Ask him to come into your life. He wants to come into your life. It's not coincidence that you're hearing this message once again, that there is this God who loves you despite all your brokenness and who doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you and all your brokenness and sin and he wants to take that from you and give you something so much better. Right relationship with him, right relationship with others. Don't wait any longer to do that. And for the rest of us who, who know the Lord, hopefully, as we sing this song, will you remember what your real identity is? Will you stop living out of your brokenness of your past or even your present, that isn't what defines you. Jesus Christ defines you. So let's remember how he's cleansed us, what he's done for us, and ask him once again to wash us and to bless us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word, for the hope that it gives us. Thank you that we don't have to settle for selfishness or an empty life. 
but you want to bless our lives now. Help us to remember who we are in you. And for anyone who hasn't made that choice, either in the room here or online, God, would they choose to make that choice today? And now we ask, God, that you would give us clean hearts and give us clean hands. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So is it your joy to say your will, your way? Because he wants to give you joy. He wants to bless your life. He wants to clean you and cleanse you from the inside out. He wants to give you an identity that transcends your circumstances, that overcomes your past, and that gives you hope for the future. Because you see, all of us start out in the same place. At one time, we too were foolish, disobeyed, excuse me, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. If you have responded to His grace and mercy, if you've received Him into your life, then that's your story. And if you hadn't, what are you waiting for? He wants to cleanse you from the inside out. He wants to give you joy and hope and His presence. And so now as we prepare to go from here, as you prepare to go into the rest of your week, will you choose to live out your true identity? Will you choose to live out who He says you are? Lord, I pray for each person here, including myself, that we would not be dull, but that we would get it. We would choose to trust and obey you and believe you for what you say. You have given us a new identity. Would we choose to live that out with who you say we are, with what you have done for us, remembering that you have cleansed us from the inside out, and we don't have to live sinful, broken, selfish lives anymore. We can choose to live for you. And so we lay ourselves down before you. We give you our hearts, and we ask that you would have your way with us now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We claim that, and we choose to live that, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So go live for him, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.